Good morning. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 22 this morning. We're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new with us, um, I want us to begin by imagining. I'm going to ask each of you to think of a very extravagant, fancy, over-the-top, outrageous wedding or banquet or event that you have participated in or attended as a guest. Get that in your mind, like something, something big and fancy. I think most of us might think directly to a wedding, maybe, maybe our own wedding, maybe one where we were a part of the wedding party and there were certain things required of us. Um, as I was thinking through this, uh, something stood out to me. There was a time when Kurt and I were um, <laughs> in a hard season. I had been sick for a very long time. I was a new parent. I was uh, jobless and had a lot of vocational questions. And we were living with Kurt's parents, trying to save some money. And we got this package in the mail. And it was this little like, package about that big. And it was very fancy on the outside. We're like, what in the world is this? And we opened it up, and it was this box. And we could tell right away that it was a wedding invitation. But it wasn't just a wedding invitation. It was a box where you open the invitation, and there was this, <laughs> this big, giant, like, plastic jewel in the middle of it, just like this object. And it was sparkly, and it was made to like grab your attention. And it was like the fanciest wedding invitation we had ever stumbled upon. I immediately got sick to my stomach. I thought, Kurt, there's no way we're going to this wedding. I don't even know what I would wear. Like, it, this is, it was one of his good friends, wonderful people. Um, it was the fanciest wedding we had ever, ever, ever been to. What do we wear to a wedding? And if you think this is a um, vain or useless topic, I know, if we're honest, a lot of us freak out or give a lot of thought to what we wear to weddings or to certain events um, at times. Um, so keep that image in your mind. We're going to look at a parable in, in Matthew. And it has to do with a wedding banquet. I had written down a lot of notes from last week's sermon and then a lot of notes from my week. And I left the paper out in the house somewhere and we got um, somebody in my house drew a wedding cake on my notes, unknowingly, that this is what we had to, um, this is what we were going to be looking at today. So this is God. Like, God wants us to be in this parable this morning. So this is a sign. Um, I'm going to read us through the, uh, the parable. That happens a lot. Just leave any blank page out. Um, I'm going to read us th slowly through this parable because there's a lot of words and um, invitation, a lot of... There's a lot going on here, and I think it's a parable we can rush through. I know I have. Um, this is Matthew's account of Jesus telling this parable in the temple, a very contentious place. Uh, there was, last week, Josh took us through 
Jesus' conversation in the temple, it was very, um, they were, the people were questioning his authority. It kind of got political because money came up and power and, again, authority. And so Jesus breaks from that more of a, like a debate and he tells another parable here. And um, so this is interesting. We're going to read it slowly. I think that Jesus' tone would have slowed down a bit for a parable, for a story like this one. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This is going to be interactive, so I want you to pay attention. Uh, Anything stand out to us about these couple of verses? I was at a wedding yesterday, and I was actually really bummed out that I couldn't stay for the banquet part of it, because I had to leave, but um, I was like, oh man, it's a party. Any other thoughts on this opening to this story? Everything's ready. Oh yeah, girl. <laughs> In this time period, that amazing spread of food took much, much, much longer with much more preparation time and thought and skill than the weddings we go to today. Thanks, Danielle. Jason, did you have one? This is a royal invitation. Yeah, who's been invited? Yeah, it seems like the social implications are just astounding. In the, you know, like, no, you don't really need the king. Period. But then when the king invites you to the wedding, like, that's not, it's just astounding. Yeah. I will say, the same parable is accounted for in Luke's gospel. And I think, um, I, I know that Luke chapter 14, when this parable is, is said by Jesus, he's, at, he's actually not in the temple. He's at a, at a table, at a dinner table. I think Mountainside probably resonates more with the Luke version of the parable because it's, it's not as abrupt as this one that we're going to continue reading. This is abrupt. And this refusal of the invitees is abrupt. Um, in Luke's account, they give some really good excuses. Uh, and they try and reason 
with the king a little more. So we're going to continue here. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Any thoughts on these few? Well, I don't know if you caught this. Who became violent? Who became violent first? That's why I'm here today. (laughs) Thank you. Um, yes. I was going to say what is a couple things strike me. The king says, uh, and those I invited did not deserve to come. But the way we know they didn't deserve to come is that they do this appalling thing in response. So it's not actually like he invites them. The way he knows they don't deserve to come is that they're complete jerks about it and and do something that is unthinkable. Right. I mean, part of what we're trying to capture is, but I was thinking, like, what if it were just my sister inviting me to her wedding, right? Like, let's not go king. Let's, like, go <laughs> best friend, right? <laughs> to, to have done this in response would be unthinkable, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying it's like a king. He's trying to be as extreme as possible. Right. Um, but I also find it fascinating that it isn't that he goes, you don't deserve to come. It's that, well, this is self-evident. You don't deserve to come mm-hmm. by what you, how you've responded, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of, I think it's a different way than I think of deserve. Right. And it could be hard to work with king language, given <laughs> the current state of the world. Um, but broaden this king that Jesus is, is speaking about. I imagine it was probably also hard for the hearers to to understand um, what's going on. One writer suggested that some people just like violence more than banquets. And this opens up a whole other problem of evil question that I'm not going to tackle right now. You can talk to Ben afterwards. But uh, (laughs) um, the violence in this account, this parable, is abrupt. And it is met with the king's outrage. Um, notice there's a distinction from the, the king's army here is not the same as the king's servants. Some suggest like this angelic, 
broader heavenly army of, of what the king has, different than the servants that are some who have been killed at this point. Um, one to his field, another to his business. These are good things. These are um, legitimate occupations, livelihoods of people. Um, It's interesting to think about something good possibly distracting us from something better in a moment of invitation. Some people are so busy making lives for themselves through these things that they forget to live lives. <laughs> This was suggested by some, some, reader, uh, some writers throughout Christian history that say, oh, interesting, a field, a business. OK, they're making lives for themselves. That's what we do. And at what point do we do that so much that we abruptly reject life or an invitation to even more life? Now, this is a parable, so forgive me if I'm trying to interpret it for you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that, but I want us to imagine broadly what, what some of this language could help us with. Um, imagine what preoccupies us in any given day. And we live in a violent world that is preoccupied with its own violence. So we're going to keep reading. And this is the part that doesn't feel as good as, good as Luke's parable in the Gospel of Luke. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. What, what are these wedding clothes about? What's this, this wedding clothing thing going on here? Let's get creative. Let's... Let's go for it. <laughs> I wore my wedding jacket today. I've, this has been to so many weddings, and it's really hot because it's still summer. Um, I'm actually, actually going to take it off. <laughs> so this is just, this isn't symbolic. This is more of like a paradox. <laughs> so, um, 
What are these wedding clothes? Definitely a biblical, you said the armor of God? So Anthony's thinking broadly about uh, themes in our scriptures, about what the people of God put on and what we're encouraged to put on. Um, great. What else? Preparation. Preparation. Yeah, preparation. I feel like when you dress, um, you specifically choose an outfit according to the event. Like you're showing that you're taking honor, whatever that event is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it gives it like some weight. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like respect because you're, you're dressing yeah. according to you know, the custom or whatever. Yeah. Rocky and Joe got married yesterday. Um, they're part of Mountainside Communion. And as I was walking to the backyard where the ceremony was being held, there were f a few other people walking down the streets, cars lined up along the streets in Glendora. Um, and we all had wedding clothes on, of course. And these two maybe 18-year-old girls came out of an apartment. They were in their pajamas. And it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And um, they ran out, and they're like, what's going on? What's what's going on? Is there a party? And I said, no, it's a wedding. And they're like, oh. And they kind of walked down the street a little bit to see who it was, see what was going on. And so there was this interest. Uh, what's, what's this public event? And, and they were in pajamas. It was a clear distinction between, <laughs> I, you know, unknowingly what was happening. They didn't try and enter the wedding, which it may have been fine, but um, <laughs> maybe not. Or mean exactly. But the parable says this is the deal. It says, I mean, they just went out trying to forgive the man who wanted to treat but not to bury. So some sort of would you say, Missy? It's a parable. Great question. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's some different cultural interpretations of this parable. This story um, would assume that a king can provide or does provide wedding clothing for people that enter that don't have wedding clothing. Um, a change of clothes in this context, in the first century, a change of clothes was a much bigger deal to these people than what we, we here and now do with our closets full of fabrics and shoes. You know, this changing clothes is a big deal. People had um, special cloaks that they would put on for a formal event, for a wedding. 
Um, you can think of Joseph's rainbow coat that he was given. It was a big deal what was worn and what, or what wasn't worn. Um, Yes. So Laura's hit on the fact that, um, and I think this is a wider biblical theme that you're getting at with, with Anthony. Uh, in the system of the temple, there were certain things you wear. You're approaching the presence of God in this temple, in this place, um, because that's where it had been confined to in this um, religious story, this, uh, the systems that we're working with, where Jesus was teaching. Um, in early Christianity, conversion was associated, too, with changing clothes. There's the symbolism of a white robe, or symbolism of a, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of it, God's, God's people are robed with something new, like there's something new to put on. Um, what I want us to get here before we, I, I do have a way to, to close us with some hope and some, a little bit of clarity with what's going on here. In this parable, I don't know if you noticed, there's a general invitation, come, come into the banquet, and then that um, invitation becomes more particular, like come in, okay, now put on clothes. And... In this parable also, there's, it's called like a, it's an important story for now, and it's an important story for what's coming. And this is eschatological. So this last part here um, kind of resembles what we hear about some final judgment. But it also is a message to the church. Um... You can look at this parable, and I know the church has done this over centuries. They've looked at this parable. We've looked at this parable, the church. We said, you know, shame on the Jewish people for not accepting Jesus as the Messiah, for not coming into the banquet. Shame on those people that were violent and killed the prophets. Um, there were, there's first of all the rebelliousness of the people that did not, that refused to come in. And then there's the rebelliousness of the violence that occurred upon the second invitation. But this is a forward-moving parable, and it moves the church into understanding that we, in the end here, as people who are here this morning, who have accepted the invitation to the banquet, who are in the house of God, the house of prayer, we're here for a reason. <laughs> You could all be doing something different on a Sunday morning. So that we've accepted this general invitation. The church has accepted this invitation. But the particular invitation is to get dressed, is to put on clothes. And in our scriptures, um, this theme has to do with works and acts of faith. As the kingdom of God is revealed, and as it's publicized, and as we proclaim it as the church, 
Um, if there was nothing better, if I, got, if I got one good thing from Christian schools my whole life, <laughs> it was in the sixth grade where my teacher had us memorize a part of Colossians chapter 3. Um, I had to memorize this, these verses, and I couldn't tell you what all the words meant, but as I grew and matured, and immatured and matured, different, different seasons of life in my faith, um, the words just stuck with me, and it's about clothing ourselves as a church. It's easy for us to point at Hollywood right now and say, oh wow, we've got we've to figure out what we think about sexual immorality and violence and the way that people are treated. It's easy for us to point at um, places in history where we can so easily identify it in others, but as the church, we're asked to clothe ourselves in something new. Um, I'm going to read this quickly. Welcome back, kids. We're going to be welcoming back kids in the next five minutes. Um, this is from Colossians chapter 3. This is what Anthony was getting at about what we can put on. Yes, God initiates and God transforms us in the life of faith. And we also are invited to act by putting things on. And in this, in this context in Colossians, it's also taking things off first. Um, and I know that if you're a lifetime Christian, you've heard these verses so many times, you're going to probably throw something at me. But these, these verses are so formative for the church. And it's so, so good for us to revisit them every now and then, even though they're so familiar. So this is Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves also of all the things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. As a sixth grader, I was like, oh, <laughs> can't cuss anymore. I think it meant something different, but, it, but it's, um, it's good for us 2017 to hear these things again. Do not lie to each other. I'll say that one again. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, in this banquet, in this church, in this nation, and in this world, here, there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. As a sixth grader, I had to look that word up, and I'm like, what? There was no Google at that time, so that's just a 
a tribe somewhere in Eastern Europe that it's referring to. Um, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So there's this act of putting these things on. God initiates this in us, but we also act. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds all things together in perfect unity. I'm going to read that last sentence one more time. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Throughout Christian history, this parable has been seen as a question mark for the church. How do we walk into this banquet and receive all this food and get all these blessings without acting and putting on love? That was the biggest question from the first century till now. It requires our action. This is not a passive banquet. Mountainside Communion is definitely not a passive church. <laughs> we are participants. We put on love. And sometimes that is so hard. And there's this king that's helping us do this because it's the king's banquet and he has provided everything that we need. Nicole preached two Sundays ago. I walked away with her sermon. I have it here because it was so great. As we came to the table, Nicole encouraged us um, with some good words. I'm going to read them now. What makes it abundant now, the kingdom of heaven? What makes it abundant now, what makes the kingdom of heaven life-giving is God's own behavior toward us. God is good. God is generous. The more we experience God's goodness, the more our eyes are opened. The more we follow Jesus deeper and deeper into life, the greater and greater intimacy we experience with our God who is relentless in relationship extravagant and excessive in generosity, unlimited and inexhaustible in love. That's real life. That was Nicole. She should have dropped the mic and walked out the door. <laughs> but instead, she led us to the table. And she, she encouraged us two Sundays ago to come to the table like blind people. Um, Nicole said, her encouragement was, we, when we come to the table today, let's come crying out like the blind man. Let's ask God to open our eyes, to heal us, to feed us with God's generosity, and to overwhelm us with the pouring of his love. 
Today we're going to come to the table as naked people. <laughs> and as we come to the table, we're going to keep in our imaginations the act of putting on love as we receive the gifts of love. So we receive this, this banquet, this supper, this good supper, this supper that was for everyone, even Christ's own betrayer, this supper was for him. So we come and we receive it, and we think of what we leave here putting on to our bodies. Do you like my robot? <laughs> Motion. Someone told me last week that I talk with my hands. I think that's a Heidi Sonia thing. And that was like a robot, the communion robot. Sorry. <laughs> ah! So um, servers, please come forward. On the night that Christ was betrayed, he was with his friends, and he took bread and he gave thanks, and he broke the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat of it in remembrance of me. And Jesus took the cup, the cup of the new covenant, the cup of suffering, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink of this cup in remembrance of me.